Hi, I'm Shaylee Shibaxi Ritchie. And I'm her co-host and sister, Kosha Baxi Karstens. Spoiler alert, we are sisters. And best friends. We grew up in the middle of Illinois, two little brown girls in a heartland farming community. We were certainly loved. We had lots of friends, but we never felt like we really fit in. We started to realize that there were a lot of people who felt similarly othered. And that realization was the seed for this podcast. Then, during the 2020 election cycle, we watched now Vice President Kamala Harris reclaim her power and story from Mike Pence. We saw what a badass she was, and we got inspired. We wanted to hear, share, and amplify the voices of everyone who has felt other. We wanted to give everyone a platform, regardless of who they are, who they love, or where they're from, to reclaim their power and their place, to stand up and say, I am speaking. Hi, listeners. Welcome back to part two of our interview with Casey. Um, If you remember last time, we were sort of, we were, as we describe it as a three act play, we were sort of in the middle to the end of act two, where things, uh, where our intrepid hero is having some challenges. If you listen to, if you watch Ted Lasso, we are in the dark forest. Yes, that's right. right. And do you watch Ted Lasso, Casey? Yes, I do. Yeah, and he's like, you know, fairy tale or rom-coms or fairy tales, they don't start or end in the dark forest. That happens smack dab in the middle. So now now we're coming out of the dark forest. We're at the end. We're in act. We're going to head toward act three. So last we talked to you, Casey, um, you had just told us that you were on the East Coast. You're going back to D.C. You're going back and forth to Washington, D.C. a lot. You had gotten into doing a good number of drugs. Um, and you'd found out that you were HIV positive. So pick pick it up from there and tell us sort of where we're going. Sure. So, I mean, the, that was the beginning of 2009. Lost my job, uh, tested HIV positive the next week. Like, yeah, um, I didn't realize it. What shocked me, Casey, and I would like to touch back on this, because HIV, in, like, when we were kids, was, like, the death sentence. The death sentence, yeah, for sure. Pretty much up until, like, Magic Johnson announced that he was HIV positive you said like it it didn't feel like a huge deal to you can you touch on that a little bit again yeah of course so when I was you know in the in the scene in the party scene um, up in DC like I started making friends with a lot of uh you know a lot of gay men that were HIV positive because DC was actually like had really really good free health care for those that were positive so you'll you, there was just a lot of people in the district that were HIV positive for one reason or another, plus a bunch of us who are doing drugs, specifically meth, like it's not you know uncommon for this to happen. So at the time, I like a lot of people I knew were were positive and they're living their lives and they were thriving, uh, sort of so to speak. Some were, some were not, but still, I didn't have to worry about it. So when I tested positive, I, at first I didn't you know see it much like oh my gosh I'm gonna die looking back on it that was a definitely like a moment in time where like things just stopped my life just took a complete halt and like i just stopped wanting to do life like i I, not that i was like i just was i wanted to escape i wanted to just run as far as i could from everything and all i knew how to do was do more drugs and so 
that became like a pretty dark period for the next, I would say, two years of, you know, I'm doing unemployment until that ran out. And then, you know, ended up selling drugs and going to a lot of places, crazy places and getting myself into a lot of crazy situations that like, I just, it's, I, I just, I'll say, talk to people about them. And I just still can't believe that it's coming out of my mouth sometimes that just the insanity that was my life for two years. Did you run into any like, legal troubles or cop troubles i no i was very close i was always on the sidelines of people that either got arrested or uh, it was yeah no i was i was very lucky and i'm also a white male so like if you were a black man we would not be talking to you right now correct who i am as a white male like i definitely found that privilege and Really, I mean, there are many moments in my life during that time where if I was anyone else besides a white male that I most likely would have gotten arrested and would have gotten extreme amounts of trouble and legal issues. So I definitely feel, I guess, lucky, but also just like I'm grateful that I didn't get caught and I didn't have to do those things. But I also recognize many of the reasons why that happened. Absolutely. So when, um, so yeah, so it was like the, I would say Thanksgiving timeframe of 2010, I got in a huge fight with the, the guy that, you know, that I was dealing with. Um, and I just had this moment of clarity of like, I could you know, grovel back at his feet and keep going, just like living this crazy life. Or I could maybe call my dad and like, um just asking if I can come home for a couple of weeks just to dry out because I had no intention of not to not or no intention to stop using drugs I just had no intention of just like living that life and if I could just get away for a little bit maybe I'd be okay uh so I called my dad and I was like can I come home for Christmas he said of course sure did he know did your parents know no like I did not a clue um I got home to Detroit and uh, I just, I was very depressed. I slept a lot. Um, and for like a month, um, my dad was like, what is going Like, he had no idea. So I finally was like, two, like a, I think February, I was like, I sat him down for breakfast and I was like, so this is what happened. Like I was a drug addict and, um, and I can't go back there. And, you know, I like, I'm trying to just pick myself off and I'm very depressed and, and I don't know what's going on, but He's like, okay, but like, he's just didn't, he still didn't understand. Like, and of course not many people do just like the brain, how your brain like chemistry kind of works with drugs or specifically meth and how, you know, I don't go through withdrawals. I don't like have those crazy like train spotting kind of issues, like where I can almost die. I just, I'm completely depressed. My, my brain is just completely just shot. Like my ability to create dopamine, not there my uh, I have a friend of mine that works a very good friend of mine that works in alcohol and drug um, treatment one of the things she says about meth is that it's particularly insidious because it actually changes the neuron patterns in your brain like you can go back to regular dopamine production and everything but your brain literally won't pick it up it takes like 15 to 20 years to fully like rewire yeah yeah and I mean it took like 18 months to like get out of the fog. So you said you don't have withdrawals. So it's quote easy to walk away in terms of like, you don't feel like, Oh my God, I have to do math. I have to do more. I have to do more. 
No, like physical, like I mean physical withdrawals, like you would uh, like trying to get off of benzos yeah, or like opiates where you're physically the, sick. Right, yeah. yeah, like it's just, but no, there's still definitely just that psych, psychological withdrawal. And like, like I, like it's, I get so depressed and all I, I know, like if I just had, you know, more meth, like yeah. I just, I'd be alive again. Right. So but I didn't. So I slowly picked myself back up, uh, met a guy. Uh, and I didn't go to any kind of meetings because um, I didn't have a. I didn't think at the time I had a problem with alcohol, uh, and I, you know, I didn't have a car. I didn't. Have, I didn't. Have, I, didn't have, I had nothing. Like I was thousands of dollars in debt. Like my car got repossessed like a, a year or so back. Like I was not great looking on paper. That's for sure. But uh, I slowly, slowly got myself together. My ex uh, and I moved in together like three months in very fortunate for that because i was so afraid if i lost him that i would go back to dc um so in a way he saved my life um very much and it took me six months to get a job i started working at hallmark because i could walk there and um just slowly made those like right decisions and then i got the job in the industry that i'm in now just because we lived at the, a, a proper uh, an apartment building uh, for this company and I started going to happy hours and getting those staff and uh, then they had the sales position open and I took it and that, that and honestly saved my life because it afforded me the ability to get an apartment on my own without having to check credit because my credit was shot uh, I was getting decent money and I didn't have a degree um, it afforded me a lot of things and so when I when I broke up with my ex eventually I ended up being able to get an apartment on my own um, and just slowly, I mean, at that point, actually even more so move myself up to better spaces and places. But at the same time, I, I'm, like, I'm, I wasn't going to therapy. Like, I, did, I wasn't dealing with any of the issues that I had, like, left. I just, I left. So, you know, wherever you go, there you are. Um, right. And I was, you know, uh, when it comes to, like, codependency and just, I'm just super impulsive. Like, I, you know, I undiagnosed ADHD, like all that stuff. Like I, I had to deal with that on my own and I like drank a lot. Like I, I loved, I was an affable drunk. And so I didn't really have any consequences from that. Um, and when I finally got into this, like just whirlwind relationship uh, where I just fell head over heels for this guy, probably. So this is like four years since I left, three years after since I left DC just fell for this guy completely fell for this guy and he wasn't ready for a relationship and I didn't know how to handle it but I did know what would make me not have to handle it and um I, I took a trip to go see my mom in Richmond Virginia and I thought well it's been three years maybe I should go see my friends in DC and I did and I I used there like immediately so you hadn't used in three years three years three years um, but I got to a point where I was so depressed and so just like distraught like it's just the idea of escaping was great and I don't even think I even told my mom this so sorry mom um I think I was like <laughs> it was her 60th birthday party and I was high and that's not a great feeling but it is what it is she knows about the drugs and stuff now, but I don't think she knew about that. Um, but anyhow, so that started a small, like slow spiral. Uh, this was the end of 2014 now. 
I got an amazing opportunity to move to Pittsburgh for, with my job to start this project that was crazy. And I went there and it was crazy. It was nuts. And it was just, I, you know, uh, I, another addiction is like, I found my worth in my work and just, you know, sure. uh, burned myself to the ground pretty much. And then found another relationship that failed. And that was July of 2016. Right after it happened, a friend of mine's like, Hey, I'll buy you a trip somewhere. Where do you want to go? And I was like, DC. Um, and that's when <laughs> I'm never going to DC like ever. Yeah, no, no, don't. DC is a beautiful town with amazing people. It just happens to be my trip tonight. So, uh, yeah. Um, so went there and that was the beginning of a huge spiral, a quick, 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 quick spiral. When I got back to Pittsburgh, I knew that I was not done. And I went from like occasional use to like daily use in about a week. Wow. I, so I was using daily, I was going to work high, like I, and this project was kind of failing, but it wasn't because of me. Uh, but so it was easy to kind of hide my, like just failure. And I was like losing so much weight and I was just a mess. I would just be sweating and just, ugh, it was. Did anyone ever approach you and say, Hey, you don't look so well or what's going on or like, or were people just sort of, it could have been at a time when people are just like, we don't talk about that stuff. The meth well, is also I mean, like, it's just physically horrifying to you. Like it, it just debilitates the body. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and just, yeah, I was starting like, oh, I'm skinny, but like at the same time, like my boss, who was actually in the the person that actually helped me get the job where I was at uh, in Michigan, she's now my boss here in Pittsburgh at this project. And I first like told her when things were going rough that I had started taking, you know, this ADHD medication to try and help. And, you know, I'm really depressed. And uh, what I remember one conversation she had, she was like, are you still taking that medication? I was like, yeah. She's like, it's not working. <laughs> <laughs> you're just losing weight. And, you're not really working. Yeah, well, she's like, it's not, you're not focused. And then <laughs> uh, I remember coming in, she doesn't remember this, but I remember coming to the office one day and she's like, you're really skinny. And not like in the like, oh, you're really skinny. She's like, you're really skinny. And I was like, oh, okay. But I mean, literally, I so I, in October, started in July October or now maybe September I was like something needs to give like I need to change like I don't know how but maybe there's like so I looked for a center there's a gay center that had uh, 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 substance abuse help so I started doing counseling there like once a week with a counselor I like told her what's going on she's like yeah have you thought about inpatient like inpatient treatment like it's might be good for you I was like no, I'll lose my job and I can't do that. No, no way. Uh, she's like, well, how about like going to an AA or an NA meeting? I was like, I don't have a problem with alcohol plus all that God stuff. No, thank you. Yeah. Um, and then, but I couldn't, I couldn't stop. Like I couldn't stop. Like I was so powerless to this drug. And like, I would, I would try and use it all up and then like, maybe then I'll stop for mm. good. And then like, I always found myself in these situations where I would always be getting more and needing more and there was just this this perpetuation and so finally i was like one night i went out with friends and i stayed up the entire night so and i'd probably been up probably two days already at that point and i caught home this is a sunday morning i, I had to work at noon it was 
10 o'clock in the morning. I was like, I'll take a quick nap right before I have to go back to work. I, before I would even set my alarm, I closed my eyes and I woke up. It was already six o'clock at night. I missed the entire day of work. Um, and that, on a Sunday with that project, you don't do like that is you can't do that. Like I have reports to do. Like, um, so immediately I call my marketing director. I was like, I think I just took a lot of pills and tried to kill myself because I didn't know what to do. Like I, I threw all my drugs away. I threw every all paraphernalia down, down the chute called her and she's like, oh my gosh, you need to go to treatment. And I was like, yeah. So the next call was to that counselor. I'm like, hey, um, I got I got to go to treatment. Like I just screwed everything up. I'm going to lose my job if I don't go. She's like, okay, we'll talk in the morning. I'll, I'll line you up with like a couple options and we'll go from there. And I was like, great. And then I was like, okay, great. All right, I just threw away a lot of drugs. I'm going to run back down and go grab them because that was a silly move to do. And I did, anyway. Um, so let me get this straight though missing work was a thing that really kind of like missing a day of work was a thing that you were like oh my god now i'm really fucked yeah yep <laughs> yep and that was it so uh they gave me two choices in pittsburgh and then there's this one uh lgbtq uh treatment center in minneapolis i was like i've never been to minnesota before uh and it's gay why not let's do it it's gay Minnesota is gay or the center? No, the treatment center is, is like for gay, uh, for people like me. Well, that's actually, I I feel like that would be fantastic because these things, from what I'm hearing, like these things are very much connected for you that, you know, that's like conversion therapy and feeling bad about yourself, but also being gay and then engaging in drugs, which is a way that you can allow yourself to engage in the behavior that you're trying to fight like i imagine that that's actually quite common yeah no for sure and like when i got there like there i mean there's so many of us that were meth addicts and and yeah meth and sex addicts and so um you know i talked to my insurance they could pay for two weeks and i was like perfect and i talked to my bosses and they were like so supportive like my company was amazing they were like get the help you need like please get the help you need you're you're you know just come back here if you if it's two weeks it's perfect we don't have to, like ownership doesn't need to know like what's going on that's you know that's so i was like great so um i like i went to gay camp for like two weeks um and it it changed everything like because it was like i was around these people that were dealing with the same things i was dealing with and so this connect, finally, this connection that I've always been looking for, I found it in these these people, these you know, just these drug addicts and drunks and whatever. And it was very dramatic and very ridiculous and very silly because it was all these people that like are like have no boundaries and they're coming down off of who knows what, and they're all gay. So well, most of us are gay or bi or trans or um, and but I made this like this group of friends and, and there's different things you can different kinds of meetings you could go to if you wanted to there was there's a thing called smart recovery that's not part of the 12 steps um it's more has to do like mental stuff um and i thought that was what i wanted to do um but the the night that we had it a friend of mine that i already got to know a little better gave his lead at the na meeting so i was like or it gave it was going to tell his story um in the program we call that leads or he in chicago we call it the lead so I was like, okay, we'll go to that. And so you know, that was the first time I've been to a meeting. Well, that wasn't the first time, but like that was the first time I like I remember um, going because I had gone a few times in DC at some points, but 
but never, nothing ever stuck, uh, stuck. So um, I went to this meeting, I loved it. And, and we say affirmations at the end of the night. And, um, you know, I still didn't think I had a problem with alcohol and I still didn't think that was something I needed to give up, but I kept coming back to the program, these 12 step meetings, because I connected with these people and I connected with their stories. Was it one of the first times you actually felt connected in a community? Yeah. And I mean, like, well, the first time I really felt it was in like my youth group back when I was a teenager, but like, Lo and behold, there were stipulations for that. Well, it's like you, you, you thought you had it, but there were always, yeah, stipulations. It was always like there was a toxicity in each of yeah. those groups in some way that made you go like, no, 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 you're, you're not good enough unless you do X. So the recovery in Minneapolis was the first time that they're like, no, 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 you just come in the door, like just Casey. We just want Casey. Yeah, yeah. So. So I kept coming back to the meetings and I would say like, I, you know, I would try to do a smart recovery, but like, you know, I remember in the affirmations at the end of the night, like no one's ever like, oh my gosh, I'm so glad I went to smart recovery. Everyone was saying, oh my gosh, I'm so glad I went to this meeting, this AA meeting or the CMA meeting or whatever. That's it. Okay. I'm not going to dog the smart recovery. I don't know enough about it. And I know people find it like I'm very much, I know everyone has their own, uh, their own road of recovery and whatever works for them. I, I'm very excited that it does. Um, but for me, what I found in my experience is I really connected with the program and I really connected with just the fellowship of these 12 step groups. And so I kept coming back. And by the end, I was like, I still don't know about alcohol. And they're like, well, can you at least like try? I was like, yeah, yeah, I'll like give it a month. Sober October. Yeah. Sober October. Yeah. <laughs> You're like, I'm going to go dry to prove to you that I don't need to give up alcohol. Yeah. <laughs> right. Well, then I get out and a friend, I have one friend that I remember that I had in Minneapolis. And I was like, hey, can you pick me up? Uh, so he picked me up and I stayed with uh, him and his partner for like three or four days because I was like, maybe I need to be here. Maybe I need to be in Minneapolis. Uh, I've got the sober community here. Like it seems to be a lot of sobriety. Like maybe this is where I can go. And I like, there's, there's buildings in this, this, this city that my company has. So I talked to one of my um, marketing managers that lives in Minneapolis. We had lunch with him. Um, but then I went to the bar with my friend. And I was like, I'm going to test this theory. I am going to have two drinks. And if I want a third one, then I know I've got a problem with alcohol. And so I had my two drinks and I was like, I really want that. Like I wanted that third drink so bad. So like, it was that, that point I was like, okay, all right. I, I'm going to try and do it again and not drink. And so, you know, I, moved, I went back to Pittsburgh and started going to meetings and um, I asked someone to be a sponsor. And I did that for like a month and a half. And then I got the call and say, Hey, there's a spot for you in St. Paul, Minnesota. Do you want to go? And I was like, yes. So, oh, and right after I got a rehab, I I, um, I adopted a dog. It's funny, in recovery, they're like, all right, there's things that for your first year that you probably yeah. want to stay away from. <laughs> right. Moving, making huge rash decisions. A lot of people get dogs, but um, getting getting a boyfriend or getting, a uh, you know, seeing somebody. 
Um, but any like major life decisions you would try to steer away from. So I got a dog, I moved, <laughs> I got there. Um, and I was pretty much like white knuckling it when I got to Minnesota. I was going to one meeting, I didn't get a sponsor. I thought just being around these people would be enough. And I, every day I was thinking, I think I can drink. I think I can drink. Um, and eventually in March, I started drinking again, even though I was still going to the meetings. Uh, and by April, uh, I started using meth again for two weeks. Wow. Yeah, it was. And that was, it had a lot to do just like with, like I was feeling lonely and I want to be connected. And mm -hmm. so sex and, and drugs are just still very closely intertwined with with my use and all that so oh you know what sidetrack too when I got in the rooms I thought you know because I when I left my faith I like I just kind of left it like I kind of left it where it was I didn't really do much with it like I deconstructed which is kind of a buzzy kind of word now but I kind of did that like I feel like I did it way before everybody else did but anyway um before it was buzzworthy before it was buzzworthy but like I deconstructed, but I never really reconstructed anything. I just left it alone. But then I had, now I have this program where it talks about having to have this higher power to rely on and believe in. And I found out very early on that I have a huge resentment with my prior higher power. Like I, mm. I would read the word God in capital letters. I would read the he or him and capital with a capital H and like, I would just get so triggered and so angry. Um, I was very, very angry. I thought it was going to be easy and I found it to be very difficult and it took a while. It took a while. It's still, I still can't really describe to you. I mean, it's always going to be evolving um, but for a long time. Like I couldn't even believe a higher power was, was personal. Like I couldn't believe it to be this, like not, not just a being like, just to have this kind of like knowing force or whatever, like, like a personality that like loved me. Like I couldn't fathom it. I needed to only be a power, a source that I could rely on because anything else, like I just couldn't see. Mm. Cause for me, it just didn't make sense that there's so much hurt and so much anguish in this world that a God that is supposed to be loving would a lot like, would allow it like it just didn't make sense to me um and then specifically like going back to just the judeo-christian stuff like that did not make sense to me at all like i didn't ask anybody to to save me i didn't ask anybody like here to tell me what i did uh, sorry that's a tangent um <laughs> i still have my views on christianity now it is but, but it's relevant it's relevant and like stephen fry is a famous um well he's a famous actor he's a famous actor but he's also <laughs> a uh, famous atheist like what well-known outspoken and one of the things was you know someone goes what if you're wrong and you die and you end up at the pearly gates and, like what would you say to god he's on record saying like i would just go up to him and say how dare you yeah bone cancer in children how dare you yeah. And so I think about that when I hear stories like yours and I, I've, I've heard people talk about AA. To me, it, it's hard for me to go like, why does it have to be tied to God to work through recovery? I don't know enough about AA or NA or any of the A's, but 
I, I'm a, I'm also a, an outed, you know, atheist. And I'm like, I don't, I don't think I could, I couldn't even pretend. Well, it's the history of AA is it was started by Christians. So that's why they talk about God with capital G and that's why it's he and his. There's no evolution of that like well and so yeah there, so there's this thing called the oxford group that came before it and it was very highly christian um and then uh you have bill wilson and dr bob who came along and kind of co-opted a bit of the oxford group but one of the things was they really had to, they ended up really needed to change was just this reliance on, they they needed to change it to make it generic like to make it you know, a God of your own understanding. Obviously, a lot of them came from backgrounds that were very religious. And so that's why they kept a lot of the language in there. And that's why it's still in there. I don't even want to talk about, like, I don't go to AA too much. Mm-hmm. I, I love the, the program. Um, I, I go to one meeting um, AA, but it still can be a little, little much when it comes to those readings, because sure. a lot of people will take it like it's like the Bible. Literally, it's yeah. It's and once again, it's like these these two very, you know, um, imperfect beings. What a crummy place or what a crummy feeling to have where you're like, this was part of what got me here in the first place. Yeah, yeah. The, the way human beings interpret the intention as if they, you know, as if you could ever understand what any divinity ever thought right and then put it in words and then it got passed down passed down and passed down and passed down and that's and that's why you know i went to church and people were trying to make you know pray the gay out of me right and they said they loved me and they said they accepted me but there was a lot of like judgment and pressure right and a lot of conditions and now i'm in aa and, and that's what drove me to like alcohol and drugs and things like that and then now I'm trying to get off that, but that's still like, it's still oppressing me. I can totally stay away. You'd be like, that's not really my jam. Yeah. And that's, that keeps a lot of people away. I just, you know, I, I knew from going to treatment that like, these are my people, like, these are the people that I want to be around. And so I'll figure out, like, I'll, de- I, like, you know, I'll work through the God stuff. A lot of the times people say, well, just rely, just make your higher power the, the group, the group, you know, these group of, group of drunks, Scott, group of drunks or a group of drug addicts. Um, and, the, and for me, it, and still is, it still is these groups of people. Like, all I know is that I cannot, for whatever reason, get sober on my own. I cannot stop. Once I start, I cannot stop on myself. But for somehow, when I'm in this room with another addict or addicts, somehow we can get sober like somehow we whatever that power is that like keeps us sober like that's what i cling to and you know i believe it's like this you know the basis of spirituality in itself is this idea that we are not alone that we are connected um so like i believe that in my soul that we're all connected somehow so i tap into that kind of like abiding strength that comes from this connectedness and I just, that's all, that's it. Like, that's all I can believe in right now. Yeah. And, you know, like I said before, like I could not believe that there was this loving higher power, but I'm starting to understand myself that this group loves and cares for me and wants the best for me. So in essence, I do have a loving higher power. So 
I've at this for five and a half years and it's been slow. It's been a very slow um, recovery in a lot of senses of like doing the steps. Like I didn't, I'm not a fast step taker. Like I still have this problem of taking my will back and wanting to do things my way. Um, but I don't pick up a drug and I don't pick up a drink. And so I stay sober and I still keep coming back to these groups. Um, Cause I know it's, uh, it's, this is where it's at. This is what's like, Everything I was looking for out there, I, I find it in these in these men and women, this this group. And it's, you know, saved my life. So how did you get from Minneapolis to here? Oh, okay. It's all right. It's my job to keep it keep it on the loop. <laughs> I keep it it's, all right. So uh, we got to Minneapolis. Um I relapsed in April, uh, and then realize that so and i stopped doing it like i had this crazy experience it was a lot of fun um because sometimes it is sometimes drugs are a lot of fun that's one of the problems yeah Yeah. the guy that was with like was just like totally flaked out and then like luckily that happened because i i was like oh that's right like this is what happens like this is not a real thing. This is not a real connection. This is not going to last. This is not sustainable. And like this, it's, it's useless. And then I, like four days later, I had my last drink and, I, and I'm a notorious drunk texter. And I sent some, sent some really stupid texts to a friend of mine in the program. And he's like, dude, I can't be around you right now. I don't, I, we need some time away because I'm just really upset. And, um, that's when I realized that, like, this isn't worth it. None of this is worth it. So mm-hmm. that was my last drink. It was April 28th of 2017 was I woke up sober that day. Um, and so three months later, I met Chad, my partner slash fiance now. And once again, doing all the things to say not to do. It's okay. And we started kind of like, dating and figuring out how life together. And um, 2018, I was asked by my company to move to Chicago, that's specifically Oak Park, to open up this new, brand new building that they were building there. Uh, and I was like, hey, Chad, uh, you know, I know you've been doing this for like 20 years in Minneapolis and built this amazing career, but like, you want to move to Chicago? Uh, and we began, to, we've been together like two years of, no a year and a half at that point but his mentor like had passed away and he was like even though he was doing well he's just kind of feeling stuck so yeah sometimes you do sometimes you're like i'm ready for a new adventure yeah so uh he's like sure um and so february 2019 we moved to oak park it was very cold i remember um very cold and but it was like i think it was yeah the polar vortex was going on like it was cold here but it was insane in minneapolis like everyone's like what it's it's not much difference in temperature i'm like it is if you actually look at a map compared where minneapolis is to chicago it is much higher and it's much colder and i'm grateful to be in chicago um that's all i can say yeah yeah and it was it was freaking crazy cold i i remember that because i was january of 2019 i was finishing up a job, a interim uh, ED engagement. And I had to go, I had to go downtown Chicago because all of my stuff was there. 
and my office was all windows. So I had it cranked up to like 90 degrees and I was still like in my coat with my, you know, because of course, like I'm, what am I doing? I'm heating all of Chicago, all of downtown Chicago. It was so cold. And I was like, well, I'm going to drive. And my husband's like, you're not driving. One, um, you might break the garage door because it's so cold. The garage's not meant to open in this weather. Two, I don't want you out there by yourself. And three, the thing I'm most afraid of is that the car will start, you'll get downtown Chicago and it won't start there and you'll be stuck. I was like, okay, that's fair. <laughs> yeah. So you moved here right in the, literally the worst weather you possibly could. And you've been here since. So what, where we are right now, you're in Oak Park. You have been sober for years, both from alcohol and other yeah. substances. At all, yeah. And, and you are in a loving gay relationship with the man who loves you back. Yes. We're in, we're now in Chicago now. We've actually moved to old town at this point, but yeah, we're, yeah. But yeah, all the other stuff. Yes. So you're in the Chicago area and all these things. So uh, by all accounts, things are like everything that was stressful when you were growing up and a young, a younger man and coming to terms with who you were. Uh, has been dealt with, but I'm assuming it hadn't really been dealt with because I mean the alcohol and drugs, yes, but then the the sort of conversion therapy and sort of all your relationship with God you talked about a little bit had did Chad see any of that or was that like I'm done with that and I made my so piece. Chad's never seen me you know drunk or high he's never seen me in like kind of my attic mode like I'm still insane I still think really crazy like I don't think like normal people like I still have a very addict mindset and he could definitely have seen me in my spiraling in my head a lot um, but he's never seen me out of control and I've never seen him out of control so oddly enough when we first started dating uh he had a, he ordered a Negroni and I was like oh I don't drink I'm kind of I'm in recovery and like he's like oh well, I don't have to drink and I was like well for one I don't know what that means uh and two like like, don't, you don't have to do that for me, but he did. Like, he just didn't need to drink. He was doing yoga a lot. He was working out. He was going to get up early. Like, he had all his fun, you know. And so that's a kind of a nuanced thing, too, because, like, so he stopped drinking. And so I don't, I've never really seen him drunk. And here's this person that, like, has also been through the ringer when it comes to, like, hating himself and for being gay and just all of that but now no longer has alcohol either to deal with his emotions. And he's from like Minnesota. He's like from Northern Minnesota. And the, so like, they don't know how to talk. Yeah. Like, no, no. My husband is from Eau Claire. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, like, and well, and, and Kosha and I have talked about this when the movie frozen came out, we were, the two of us were appalled that this like conceal don't feel line that the parents gave to Elsa. Well, just conceal don't feel. And I was like, Coach is like, that's ridiculous. What kind of advice is that? Like, that's the, like the least healthy thing you could ever say. And so my husband's sitting right there, deadpan, goes, um, that doesn't really happen. And I would really appreciate it if you stopped talking about it. Like the the absolute definition of conceal don't feel. Well, I Shales, you 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 said, well, they're like Scandinavian. Oh, yeah. And they they conceal and don't feel. They they push down their feelings. They deny them and they don't talk about it. And then Justin, Shulzy's husband was like, 
that doesn't happen and I don't want to talk about it. And it was really funny. <laughs> so it's just like de- delivered, deadpan, just right on time. And I was but like- also accurate. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, so I mean, um, oh, and to, and to bring up like the mental health piece, like I started seeing a therapist uh, during these times when I got, went to Minnesota and continue to this day. One thing is to do the program, but also like there's so much we're digging up and we're, we're healing from all this religious trauma and just how I deal with process things just in general. And then, so now, even now, like, you know, Chad and I are doing couples therapy just because it's good. Like, cause we need to learn how to communicate. We just like, even though I've done a lot of work with communicating myself, like it's been very hard for the two of us. Like I'm a people pleaser. He's a people pleaser. Like we didn't, like, there was just so much going on that, you know, we need this to be able to learn how to, communicate and talk to one another since like it's not typical and typical like our normal way of of doing things so um you know life life has been amazing but it definitely has not been easy uh i went back to school and got my degree i definitely wouldn't be able to do that if i wasn't sober i'm learning things about myself i'd never known um and you know sometimes i don't really see much change but like i I know it's there and I, it's, you know, luckily I get to talk to people uh, who know me well and know me and just tell, tell me like, no, like I, we see the change and it's happening to you and you're, you're, you are a different person. And that's what this program does. It changes you. It's like, it change. You get to like kind of dive deep into your life and just, you know, kind of clean up that the inside and that your side of the street and just kind of let go of of it all so yeah yeah i think that's it that's all that's oh that's that's it oh that's it (laughs) that's all wow wow yeah i just uh, i mean it's your story is both inspiring and not like in the way that like and then he overcame all of this adversity but more like people are dealt shit hands all the time And then sometimes it gets then because they're dealt shit hands, they do shit things and they're, they are miserable and they find a way to find, they find a way to not be miserable and to actually be happy and to say yes to happiness. I feel like sometimes is the hardest thing for any of us especially given all that, you know, and we all go through that trauma, whether it's because of one thing or another thing we're all sort of like walking around wounded, feeling like we don't deserve what we really do deserve. We don't deserve to be happy. We don't deserve to be loved for exactly who we are. And then to get to a place to be like, I almost nearly did kill myself. And to come back from that and say, you know, I'm doing all these things to make myself like deal with the hurt and trauma I've had in my life, but also I'm doing things for like a, a happier future for myself, not just to be okay in the now, but looking forward and being like, what do I want my life to be like? And then what do I need to do now to make that happen? Right. What a, what a like huge flip from like, I don't care about tomorrow. I'm only living for this moment to, I have to do hard stuff now so I can, it can be better and happier and easier later. Yeah. I was just living in so much fear. 
for so long and and now like it's still i'll still have those moments of being afraid but like i just just kind of getting rid of that fear and just kind of just moving forward and getting outside of yourself a big thing about the program too is just like just doing being a service and just thinking of others and um connecting with them and so i sponsor you know people in the program too and just like that helps me get outside of myself and that like kind of opens up this life and we always are supposed to in the program is always advised to take suggestions and whether it be from your sponsor from other people and a lot of times even the things that my sponsor told me that I think is complete and utter bullshit, I I do. And it's not the actual thing that they tell me to do that helps my life. It's just that the idea that I might not know it all, that maybe, maybe, uh, maybe someone else knows something that I don't, and I'm just open-minded and willing enough to try something different. Um, and that somehow has made all the difference. Yeah. Wow. Question that's not related to where we are, but I want to, I, something I'm curious about, because you said, you know, I just have this addict mind, right? Do you still, do you still have this, like, it would be so easy to go back. Like, do you feel like you're constantly fighting? No. Maybe less so, but do you, okay. No, so like, I mean, I've like kind of built up this life that is very full and sometimes very stressful because it's very full, but like, I don't have time to do drugs. Like, <laughs> like it sounds like sometimes I just want to escape and sometimes I'll have these thoughts and thoughts will always, I'm, I'm completely powerless over my thoughts. And that's one thing like I, I, as an addict, like every time the thought came into my head, I had to deal with it and just say, it goes crazy. But like, I can have a thought and just let it fly by just let it okay all right i'm just gonna let that go sometimes i cling on to it longer than i need to but like and that's uh, my need to escape uh and i still like i still spend a lot of money when i'm trying to i'm super stressed and there's still a lot of things i do adequately but like going to math like it would because i've built up these tools and i built up a life that like is so removed from that like it would take a lot for me to be able to act, physically get drugs and use them and just it sounds like just so exhausting to even think about (laughs) that i get where you're like if someone like sometimes i'm like you know what i just need someone to give it to me on a platter like sometimes i'm like i can't even get dinner together much less like figure out how i would get drugs yeah yeah it's just too much work there are days where if like the drug was in front of me that would be some days are really I don't know if I would I would say no and that's why I'm so grateful that I have built up a life where it's it's not that easy um so there's those days there's also really days where I'm like oh my so no I would never want a million years but um so I just know I know that I'm an addict I know that I gotta take this a day at a time because that's all I have um and I'm not delusion like i'm not going to delude myself into thinking that i couldn't go back out there because i've seen so many people do and i've seen so many people die from this disease so i know that i'm not not immune um but i'm so grateful that i've got a life now that's so worth staying sober for yeah absolutely that makes sense we aired an episode with a guest who 
was undiagnosed ADHD, was got diagnosed in his as an adult. Yeah. And you had mentioned that too, that you were undiagnosed ADHD. And uh, amusingly, it's amusing to listen to. I mean, it's not a, like an amusing thing, but it's amusing to listen to that I'm talking to him. You know, we're, we're Kosha and I are starting the interview together. And then I'm just like, oh my God, tell me more. Because I'm seeing myself in yeah. him. Right? Yeah. He's saying things and I'm like, oh, me too. Me too. I'm so like that too. And literally in the middle of the podcast, in the middle of talking to him, I noticed it was raining outside and I went, oh my God, it's raining. And then just came back. I was like, that is what a typical behavior, right? Like it's just a small outburst. Just need to say it. Totally distracted. Now I'm back. Yeah. Home. I think I've already done it to you a couple of times already. So. <laughs> Sorry. I'm, I'm, I'm flying with this. But the other thing is like, so two things I did learn is that alcohol and meth mimic dopamine in the brain. So you are basically doing the two things that from an ADHD perspective, like, yes, right. More, yeah. I actually, I actually feel like a, like I'm getting what I need here. Adderall and Ritalin, they're, they're, they're amphetamines like they like in it and, and lower amounts can be very therapeutic and beneficial for those that are suffering with, with ADHD. I can't, I can't be on, like I tried to do that um, a year ago and I couldn't like it, it I, I felt too triggered um, so I'm on Wilbutrin um, where it gives this little bit of feeling of energy and it, it's enough to help me with my concentration more but I can't stimulants just a little too risky for me um, but I know people even in the program that are on stimulants to help with their ADHD because it's real I mean like wow, many meth addicts are I'm also on Wellbutrin. I I sort of does give me a lift, like you said, but it doesn't help with my ADHD symptoms at all. Yeah. Where I'm, I'm li- like, I, I'm still fidgety. I'm still distractible. You know, I still have a hard time focusing. Your memory is shit. My memory is shit. I don't know if that's because of my children or because of ADHD, <laughs> but let's say it's, it's a combination for sure. Um, so that's fascinating how so often we we self-medicate because you know you could have gone a different way with your with your drug addictions you could have gone toward opioids and heroin right that wasn't going to make you feel good right (laughs) that was like you went the way which is like oh my brain needs more of this so i'm going to take more of that right and then i'm actually going to feel as good as i need to feel right we just so don't look at the combination of mental health and trauma and self-medication and how people self-medicate and what else might be going on besides treating the treating the addiction which is super important i'm not saying that but like what's underneath that that maybe push someone this way or that way because i mean in the end it's like it's not it's not the drugs or anything like that like they're just like the symptom that kind of comes from this like for me it's very much a mental mental issue and so many of us are dual diagnosed like with addiction and depression or a lot a lot of people find out they're bipolar or you know ADHD there's so many different things going on that you have to work on as well yeah it's crazy well that's quite a story even today was quite a story so then adding it all up was (laughs) I mean that's really like I said I don't want to be like oh you're such a hero or you're so inspirational because that sounds so hallmarky but I think it is amazing to hear stories of people who people 
people are like, it was really tough for me. And then I, was that a dig because he worked at Hallmark? Oh, no, I didn't. I even. love that. I was going to say, I was like, I did work at Hallmark. So. Not surprisingly, I, I didn't game. remember that. Yeah. <laughs> Weird. Shocked. But yeah, exactly. Um, but that uh, that it's it's not perfect. It's not beautiful. It's not made for television movie. Right. But that people find their way to happiness and like not manufactured, not substance based, but happiness. And they can find a way to move forward with their life that is full of hope, which is awesome. And a flawed life. Like, I feel like there's a lot of, you know, to Shulshi's point, that Hallmark movie. And now everything is beautiful and perfect. And white. Yeah. (laughs) Very white. But you you have a life that's flawed, that you still struggle sometimes, that you're in therapy, you know, but you, the the overall, the kind of net is, is a lot of happiness. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't change anything. Like, like I don't regret anything that has happened because I, I know I'm this person. Like, I still have self worth issues. I still have self hate issues. I'm still working through that. I need to learn how to love that little kid. Apparently, that's what they say. That's what I'm being told. But like, I this life that I have right now, like, I I know I would never have gotten there if I didn't work through the things I worked through. Like, I. I'm sharing the story because I know other people have gone through this stuff and I know that like that that we can work in like I my story has power to help other people yeah so, absolutely and I'm happy to share it and I just thinking about you know when when Kosha said that you okay we're gonna talk to this you know this guy and he's been through conversion therapy I think people automatically go to this we're sending you away to a boot camp and you're going to get shocked and you're going to this and you're going to that. Yeah. And that's not your, that wasn't your experience at all. And I'm, a, I'm guessing that most people's experience is not that sort of, you know, camp punishment Hardcore, camp yeah. approach, but more this God loves you. People that really think, yeah, they really think they need to do this because they've been manipulated and coerced and groomed into believing this is the only way that God's going to be happy. Right. We love you and God loves you and we know you can do it. So just try harder, pray harder, right? Very much this, like, if you could just be the right kind of person, everything would be fine. Yep. Love the sinner, hate the sin. It's just behavioral. You can change like God didn't, God, yeah. Yeah. It's all about your issue and you can fix it you're the one that is is has failed god and, and how much how insidious is that as opposed to you're a bad person we're gonna send you away to fix you this is like no we all love you and we're all cheering for you and we know you can do it um you just have to try harder you have to or try something different you just have to want it more yeah you're just not doing enough right puts all of that on you and it's, you know, it's hard to get out of that cycle where it's like, oh, I just not good enough. And we talked to Kate who had uh, similar issues growing up and, you know, it was much the same way. She had struggled with depression and anxiety and it was just pray harder. And if, if, if you're still anxious or depressed, Your fault. you didn't pray hard enough. Yeah. Yeah. It's on you. Yeah, here are these people that are like doing so much more than anybody can and should be doing to like better themselves and they and they're just told that they're still not doing enough yeah it's just it's awful it's awful
Yeah. So, and it's still, by the way, it's still happening. It's still happening. Like there are groups that are, that are still out there preaching that can, like that change is possible, that the only way to God is through um, reparative therapy. It's, they've, uh, they've taken different ways of, of saying it, but the message is still the same. And, and it's just this message of just, of hate, like that, you know, they disguise it in love, but it's really just like, you have to change. You are not mm-hmm. good enough. Yeah. yeah. I was going to ask our last, second to last question, because we are in this place of being like, you just said, you know, it's still happening. There are still people out there going through this. So what would you say to those people, right? You were, you were in that position before. What advice would you give to someone who is literally staring in the mirror going, I'm being told something's wrong with me and I can't, I, I can't stop being this way. Cause that's who I am. Um, you know, I wouldn't say, I mean, I can say the things that I, at one point I would have said, you know, God loves you no matter what, where you are. Um, all I, but what I say, can say now is, you know, you are, you, you are enough. You have always been enough. And there is, you know, your worth is not based on anything you ever did or anything you will ever do. You are worthy and lovable because you are on this planet, and you are worthy and worth it. Like that's it. Like you, there. You don't have to prove anything to anybody. Hmm. Yeah. You are worthy and worth it. I like that. That's it. That's like so simple and so, so deep. Like that's like you are worthy and worth six words that are like, that's really what every single one of us needs to understand and get. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Brene Brown, I'm, I mean, even that first TED talk that she did, she's like, you know, just we can just tell, like remind our kids that like you were designed to struggle, but like you are worthy of loving connection because people are going to struggle. They're not perfect. We're going to fall. Um, we just cushion ourselves a little bit and just be a little more loving. Gosh, like I remember my mom and dad, like not to say they're horrible parents, but like I just always remember like you had to get good grades, like get good grades, go to college, like that it was all performance based and that I don't they don't know they didn't know any better but like I, I remember growing up like that was it like I had to get good grades like that was what my worth was based on and I did uh, and anyway yeah I think I'm rambling but no that's absolutely true I absolutely agree well that is a beautiful story just in every in every aspect um and we came out of the forest we came out of the forest End of Act Three, our hero gets the man, settles down, yes. lives happily ever after. With their dog. Yes, I love that. Do- yes. And yes. and their therapist with their yes, dog exactly. and their therapist. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so thank you so much for sharing your story. I do think, I mean, I love how much you share your story. I've seen it on Facebook. I've seen, you know, like your sobriety birthdays when you when you talk about who you were and what you were looking for. You talk about conversion therapy. It's just one of the reasons we do this podcast is, is the connections, 
is that we are like, you know, if you just sit down and get to know somebody and you just say like, you look beyond the gay, straight, trans, you look beyond the color of your skin or girl, boy, whatever it is, non-binary, it's like, yeah, we just everyone would be a lot happier. So speaking of connections, one of the ways that we have connected on this podcast is talking about Act, which has been hilarious, hilarious, but also as a way to go like, oh my God, your family does crazy weird words and phrases too. And so do I, or my mom used to say this and just shared stories and the fact that everyone is kind of loopy in their own way. What are some examples of your family act in your own life? So I, I mean, I remember you telling me about this question and like, it's been so hard to come up with stuff, but like, cause I've been, you know, I had some time to like think about it and like listen to what we do. One of the biggest things for me is I'm, I'm a clicker. Like, it's like, I have this own like separate language clicks and like, he knows like, like I'll just do that. Like, and whether it's like, get over here or like, no, it's like when that's like a response. Oh, diff- they're different. Yeah. Like it, it, it just like, it just comes in just a way. Like it's a, typically like, like I, I'm responding to you. It's like, a, and then the, there's the multiple clicks of like, like or the snaps of just, and, and he knows. And so does my dog, like I'm a clicker and I'm, I have friends that are clickers as well too, but um, we joke about it. I think that's interesting. Well, I like that because like, it's like when you have a baby, you know, the different cries mean different things, but like no one, someone else would just be like, oh, your baby's crying. And you're like, no, he's hungry or he got hurt or whatever, you know, he's tired. Chad knows my clicks what you mean by your clicks yeah that yeah right that's a family act we have not heard no of. well <laughs> this is it's beyond a family act in some ways yeah right it's like a sub language but it's i mean it, to- <laughs> it totally makes sense right it's, it's also true like what kosha said it's true and that when someone else's baby is crying you, you know it's not your baby it's a very weird thing ah that's not my kid <laughs> right it's all i mean it's a bit like knowing your dog you know when when your dog's whining for something or when they're hurt or when they're sick or whatever what they it is. Need, yeah, they need to go out. Yeah. If you go to a dog park, you can tell your dog's bark from someone else's bark. I don't some other dog's bark. So. So. Well, Casey, you are fantastic, and the self awareness that you possess is is really amazing. And even through like even when you're like deep in addiction and benders. You're like, you know what? I need to dry out for a couple weeks. Like, I just am so impressed with, like, you're self-aware even during benders and stuff. Like, that's been so, so, so far. And I'm just so glad our paths have crossed. Same, same. I really appreciate the, the time we get to spend together. And thanks for listening to my story. I appreciate that. I always appreciate the platform for sure. Yeah. It's been awesome to talk to you. Thank you so much. Yes. Thank you. And we will definitely be in touch. When's the wedding? Oh, okay, mom. Thanks. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) You know what? She just heard that your her 60th birthday. You were so now I'm getting back. Yeah, (laughs) for her. Yeah, (laughs) literally like last week, something came up. She's like, something about the wedding, and she's like, oh my gosh, it was so awkward. I'm like, I don't know. I don't know. (laughs) They're expensive. Have a wonderful day, and we will definitely be in touch. Perfect. Bye. Take care, y'all. Bye. Bye.